Well, friends, welcome to Crew Conversations. And this is a space to continue the conversation that our Crew Fenway community is already having. My name is Patty. I am crew staff in the Fenway. And I will be your host for Crew Conversations. And today we have the first episode of a series on mental health. And you can catch the rest of the episodes coming um, in April. Um, But today we have a really great episode. It started at our Monday night crew meeting two weeks ago around mental health with four mental health professionals hosted by our very own Melissa Ellis. But before we jump into sharing that conversation with you, I wanted to have a little chat with two of my friends, Andrew Shield and Melissa Ellis, to kind of prep this conversation that we're going to hear today. So I'd love to invite both of you to introduce yourselves. Melissa, would you want to kick us off? Sure. Well, many of you guys know me, but my name is Melissa Ellis, and I am one of the co-team leaders for the Fenway crew team. And um Yeah, so that's who I am. I've been working with this organization called Crew for 22 years. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm a student at New England Conservatory. Uh, I'm a senior and I've been working with Crew for four. No, I've been interacting with Crew for four years. Well, the three of us are really excited to talk about this conversation And Melissa, I'd love to start with you. Can you kind of prep us a little bit? In a few minutes, we're going to hear um, from four mental health professionals, and you hosted this conversation. And so can you just share a little bit about why you thought this was an important topic for our community, as well as what you are hoping to see happen through this space? So my experience has always been really positive as I think about bringing in some extra support or help around areas of my life that I need to unpackage or unpack. And um, I've really benefited from that and watched other people benefit as well in my life that I care about. But as I think about mental health, um, it's not something that I was ever hesitant about. Like I grew up in a, in a space and a family where, I mean, there were times in high school where I was seeing a counselor for various things and, um, and actually both those who were like not believers, but then right before I first heard the gospel, um, I actually saw a Christian counselor. And I just, I, I sometimes forget about that, that it was because I wasn't a believer, but my mom and, and beknownst to me had become a believer. And so we were like seeing a family counselor and, um, and then I started seeing him individually and it was actually really helpful. And I found it to be really, easy to engage with this counselor. And I found, I found the environment to be really safe and helpful. Like it wasn't high pressure or anything like that. And so it's never been something that I ever doubted was beneficial because I've benefited from it and I've seen other people benefit from it, both like short-term and long-term. And, um, and so I think what I started noticing that once I became a believer and started walking with Jesus closely, I started hearing about even some like hindrances to, to, um, sometimes needing help when we were stuck a little bit and kind of wondering like, is that true? Do I agree with that? And at one point in, um, I had considered becoming a counselor. And so there was just like a lot wrapped up in that. And I, um, 
And so I think that as we were praying and trying to think through, like, what are some ways that this idea of Jesus being unexpected, I thought this is an important topic for us to talk about, to begin in kind of a large scale setting with our crew community, um, because we're already having this small conversation. So let's bring it to the, like, the, the full table and have it together hopefully to continue the conversations that are already happening, but also open the doors for more significant conversations as well. So it just kind of felt like this is the right next thing. I love that. Yeah. And I think as you hear the panel in a few minutes, you'll hear those things from them as well. And um, it's beautiful to be a part of thinking about how can we destigmatize something that has um you know, for many years prevented people from getting um, the help that they really need to thrive and flourish. Andrew, you were there that night too. Do you see this as an important topic for our community or how do you see that playing out maybe in your peers or people around you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say, I feel like, uh, I, I, I would honestly want to say a majority of people that I know more have been to counseling than have not. Um, and so it definitely plays out. And if we're going to see a counselor who is or is not Christian, that also like, like it's good to know that, that there's like the scientific aspect of it that can be very helpful. Um, and that they're good people out there that can help you out is very important because a lot of times we can, it's hard to talk about our problems we have with each other if we are secretly going to deal with our problems. Uh, so, you know, we grow by being vulnerable with each other. And I mean, being i mean this this conversation was it's it's about being vulnerable they're like even getting to a point where it's not vulnerable um and and sharing about our mental health yeah andrew i love what you said though about it almost is this idea of getting comfortable enough with sharing normalizing that we all have mental health and at times in our lives we're all going to need some extra, I don't know, some extra cushion, some extra support, um, unpackaging those backpack, those things in our backpack that maybe we're having a hard time doing just on our own or within the context of community. And, but I loved what you said about, we might have a hard time being vulnerable, but actually if we are vulnerable and are sharing about these things, at some point, those things we're sharing will actually not feel that vulnerable, I think is what you were sharing. And that that's actually we can start to see a ton of growth in that area. Not to mean there's not going to be other things of vulnerability, but I think we saw that in this conversation with the panelists that some of them were sharing some really like very, in, in some settings that might've been considered provocative, but like very vulnerable things, but because they had unpackaged it, it wasn't, I don't think it was vulnerable for them to share. Like this is, I see my counselor once a month. And I think Lou said like, the counselor told me you can, it's okay. You only need to come once, but I'd like to see him more, you know I mean? Just things like that, that at times we may find those to be really vulnerable, but it is like, oh, when you unpack it, there's, I don't know, there's almost like a freedom that comes from that and a, a strengthening and a confidence that can come from that. 
setting. So I loved what you were saying about that. Yeah, there totally is a freedom too. Like, there, you know, you know it. Like, when you don't, when you have something that you're not sharing, it's just like, it's like, like, banging on the walls of your head <laughs> like it once and then once it does go out it's like oh well now i get to think about the next thing or i can i can really be in the moment with you yeah i love that yeah sometimes you just need somebody to go first or a conversation to happen to kind of um spark those conversations in a community and that jesus cares about our mental health just saying like yes to that Well, thanks so much, Andrew and Melissa. I loved hearing your thoughts. And this is just a glimpse. So I think it's time to turn it over now to our panelists, to Melissa Hosting, and to hear this conversation um, that we got to have in our Fenway Crew community around the topic of mental health. Thanks for being here tonight. Well, this is something that we have been so excited to have you guys here around the table. And we've been praying and planning about this for months. And thanks for saying yes to being here. So I thought we could start off a little bit tonight by just telling us about yourselves, a little bit about your background. And yeah, we can get to know you. I'll just jump right in. We have only a limited time. So what's really important for y'all to know about me, uh, my name is Lou. Um, was born in the Philippines, ethnically Chinese, immigrated to the U.S. Oh, gosh, when I was five years old. So I guess it would have been 88 or 89, if you want to figure out the math of that. Um, I went to a small religious school in Lakeland, Florida. If you're curious, come find me later which one it is. I graduated from Leslie University um, with my master's degree in expressive therapy and mental health counseling. Um, I work in Somerville as a private practice therapist. I specialize in using art and music um, in, um, in a clinical setting. And the newest thing I've had to add to my repertoire as an expressive therapist is sports climbing. That was an unexpected new addition because a lot of my clients like the rock climb. And can we find an intersection with that? Um, along with other things like faith, I think you can. So uh, glad to be here. Awesome. Well, hello again, crew. Um, I'm Chase Grogan, originally from Virginia. I asked me. <laughs> okay, you too. Awesome. Um, uh, from Virginia, graduate of Virginia Tech. And at Virginia Tech, I was a part of the Impact Movement, which was a sister organization to crew. I got to Boston uh, by going to Gordon-Conwell. Um, and I've been working in Boston Public Schools for the last eight years. Um, I also now work at my church, Roxbury Presbyterian Church. and I am recently a mental health counselor in the community, so. My name is Corey. If, if everyone's willing, if you can just pull down your mask for one second so I can see your faces. You don't have to, but thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I, like, I just like to see everyone and your smiles. Um, I am in my second career. I spent 30 years really involved with crew, 20 years full-time. Um, working with college students like you, um, the best years of our lives. I raised my kids both in that community um, amongst college students and high school students. And I couldn't think of a better place to raise kids or free for me myself to grow up in my own faith. So recently I've switched careers and I'm a mental health counselor. I was also at Gordon-Conwell, like these two over here. And I have one degree in counseling, and then I got another degree in kind of put it together myself, but worldview, understanding my lens, how it is limited, 
understanding the lens of other people, how it impacts my view of the world, of mental health, actually, also, and of the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just grateful for that time to study and be back with college students again um, in the counseling office. So really happy to be here with you all tonight. Thanks for coming. Hi, everyone. I'm Liza Silvestri. Um, I actually was an alumni or am an alumni of BU. And when I was here as a student, there were like five people in the chairs that you're sitting in. So to see all these faces is like so exciting. Um, and all the technology, I'm like really old. Um, so <laughs> this is very cool. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a alumni of BU, did my undergraduate work there, and then spent the first year after graduation actually interning with these guys, many, Melissa and Brian and Patty and many others, familiar faces. And then after that, I did some teaching as well uh, in some of the inner city schools, both in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and then in Boston, some of the charter schools. And it was during that time that I was like, I really like this. This is cool. But I'm really loving parent teacher conferences and I'm really loving sitting down with the kids when they're crying. Like, this isn't normal. I'm supposed to be teaching them math. So um, I took a little break, tried to figure out what God was calling me, had a baby. Um, and then about a year later, decided to apply to Gordon Conwell's um, master's degree program for counseling and was accepted and have been working very slowly on a degree there uh, for the last three or four years. So I'm really excited. I have no idea what I'm going to do yet. So, um, but it's just, I feel like I have some personal experience with mental health and families, my own, and just the impact that it has uh, all over. So I'm really excited to be here. That's awesome. Thanks, you guys. Well, I thought one way we could start is just to talk about how we would describe or define mental health. And I think sometimes that perspective can be narrow. And I know you guys all have a bit broader of a perspective of that. So I'd love to just kind of bat around some ideas. Like, what would you tell someone if they just asked, what is mental health? How would you describe that? I mean, I'll just jump in. I'm not going to be the shy, I'm not the shy one. So I'm perfectly fine not being the shy one. So when I, when I think of mental health, I think of it as like a, like a multi-intersection highway, this idea of like how many things can overlap. If you are from Texas or have ever been to Texas, I've been there a couple of times in my life and I've been through Dallas and there's like highways upon highways. It's like cusping Dr. Seuss style. If you have that visual image of all these roads above each other. And I kind of think of mental health as the intersection between physical um, and emotional and spiritual and mental well-being and how all those things overlap and how all those things can inform who we are, that they all interrelate. And, and if any of those things are clogged up, it causes a jam in other places. So it's all those things and how they relate to each other. And there's probably many things I didn't even say. I, I just wanted to add, I remember the first time somebody, um, I went and heard somebody speak about mental health. And the first thing he said was, we all have mental health. And I think sometimes we think of it as mental health issues or mental health problems, but we actually all have mental health, physical health, spiritual, emotional health. And the basis really of our mental health is one of the foundations of it is sleep. And so it, that alone, if, if you are having trouble sleeping or you know, waking up a lot or aren't getting enough sleep, that is a, a very basic part of all of us, for all of us, of our mental health, that we're, we probably need to pay some attention to our mental health. But I think that um, also in the Christian realm, I think in probably not today, but um, for a while, it was like anything below the neck, you know, was fair game for doctors 
surgeries, anything like that. But then when it came to mental health or the brain or the mind, it was like, well, we just need to pray about those things. And I think right now there's so much more out there to help us learn about our brains and mental health, more research. There are brain scans. We can understand so much more now about the brain. And so hopefully shame and stigma are lowering about, you know, getting help for parts of who we are, but not every part. So just a few thoughts. And I might add one more thing. I think that for the most part, all of you will experience something with your mental health throughout your entire life, whether it's once or twice, and you'll most definitely know someone that has experienced something. And, but I think along the lines of what Corey was saying, we all have mental health. So we're all on the spectrum at any given point. And so again, to help with that stigma that something's wrong with you, if you have to see a therapist or you're having worries or sadness or whatever, I think we all have all those things and um, it's a pretty normal part of life. Well, one of the things that we have been talking about this semester is this idea of unexpected Jesus. So like he responds in unexpected ways. He interacts with us in unexpected ways, even sometimes unexpected ways than what we were trained up in a spiritual community to think. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that idea of community. So what are some ways you've experienced a faith community coming around you or someone, you know, on their mental health journey, kind of tell us some stories, examples, things like that. Um, I'll jump in and say that uh, our church here in Roxbury has a um, trauma center, um, a 501c3 associated with the church. And we have a uh, trauma program that's open to the community. And it's literally a place where people just come in and either sit and hold space or come in and share, um, share stories. Uh, it could be topically. Um, there's, you know, a mother support group. There's one for men um, challenged by addiction. Um, or there's just the generic one where people kind of share what's going on on their jobs or share kind of the... Um, systemic racism issues and things that they've um, been challenged with. And so that's a strong faith community um, that just is um, very inclusive and allows people to just kind of share. Um, and I think uh, from that community, people have been funneled into our church, um, but also from that community, people have been funneled to, uh, you know, clinicians and um, other services that they need because um, that space allowed them to voice uh, something that they would not have otherwise uh, done. I would say in my own experience in navigating Christianity um, that I think it's important to have a church community and then how they supported me in my mental health experiences, navigating um, my ethnic identity and even more so my sexual identity. So I'm a person who identifies with same-sex attraction, being gay, but then how do I intersect that as a Christian and what does it mean to live out being a single celibate person? And so that's, that's where I stand theologically and having a church community that will have those dialogues with me um, as I've grown in my Christian faith will invite me to speak into that experience. And I, and I think that's important important to say that because like, navigating Christian community is helping others like yourselves as fellow humans to step in and share your own story that it's cool that this community has grown to be so large and robust, but I'm going to be old one day and I won't be able to talk in the same way. And maybe one of y'all and many of y'all could be replacing us in good humor that this is a community that's supposed to be self-sustaining and growing. So I think it's Christian community and faith. I think it does things of that nature. And that's how it's helped me um, grow as a person. 
Um, I think I've seen sort of both sides of the coin. Um, I think personally, I experienced, I struggled with anxiety and I've had some Christian community friends um, who just journeyed alongside me with me in that. And they just said, I'm here, I'm with you, you're not alone and shared their own experiences with it. And I think that, and I also received um, a, a friend who had also struggled with anxiety, offered me a book that kind of integrated in a healthy way, not in a way that felt shameful, like I'm not loving God enough. And so therefore my anxiety is not gone, but in a way that just spoke to my heart and drew me closer to the Lord in that time. Um, and then I've also seen, unfortunately, the ways in which faith community can be harmful because there is a lot of, a lot of times, maybe not a lot, but definitely it can happen that we try to sort of spiritually bypass or encourage people to just pray more or, you know, have your hope in the Lord and like the depression will go away or fear not, you know, using scripture. And those things are good and wonderful to know, but they can also wreak havoc and makes people feel more shame that they're, than they're already experiencing. And so I, my hope is that, you know, continuing to have these conversations in communities like this can continue to figure out the best ways to merge the two, our faith with mental health struggles and how they can complement and support each other. I'll just add one thing on the end of, excuse me, sorry, on the end of what Liza said. Um, Chase, I want to say I've heard so much about Roxbury Prez and the trauma group there and have been hoping to visit. So um, that is so exciting to hear. And also, Lou, how you've been accepted in that way. And I, I think what Liza was saying, that unfortunately, a lot of times we go through because of mental health issues or trauma, we go through faith deconstruction and maybe reconstruction. And that was, that was kind of the case for me. I actually stopped going to church and needed to take a break to kind of just kind of as a system, like a, as a, yeah, I'll just say that, but that was what happened for my journey. And it was really important for me to not stop meeting with other believers, to find ways to connect with my friends, like Liza was saying, that when I couldn't maybe handle the greater system of, and, and I have to say too, kind of the way we do church here in the United States in a Western culture, um, it was overwhelming to me. Um, I think if you have anything like social anxiety or trauma, or there are certain things that can make being really social at a church building difficult. So I would say church can have a wider meaning and that I hope that the structure of our church is, does get better at um, welcoming people and being a place of belonging for everyone. So glad to hear these stories here. It's encouraging. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. I think that it's something that um, we talk about community and we talk about experiencing community in within the church, within crew, within friends that have similar faith backgrounds. But sometimes I can even find myself being hesitant to step in and share my own mental health journey in a community setting like that. So I would just love to hear, like, what are your guys' thoughts about, um, or insight or wisdom do you have to offer for someone who maybe wants to step in, but is a little hesitant to step into community and share that part of their lives with others? 
I would, I would say in my experience, similar to what I was sharing earlier, when I would talk about um, the reason I mentioned my sexual identity is because I think it's also a facet of mental health and wellness where we are sexual beings. We are people who have feelings and libidos and everything in between. Yes, I said libido. That's a normal <laughs> word. We should normalize sexuality just like we can normalize mental health. And I think if someone is hesitant, and I think I mentioned this illustration because I didn't like just come out to the entire church congregation. That's not what I would recommend or just say, I struggle with depression or suicidality or, or something else. It might be talking to one friend, one Christian friend, maybe um, a G3 group. Is that, that's a term, a G3 group. That's a thing. You might do that. I went to a Christian school. So this is a very different experience for me to hear these terms. So super cool. The point being is you might we talk to, oh, nice. I love things that are made up. That's great. But but point being is you might talk to someone you deem worthy, someone you trust. Maybe it's someone sitting next to you. Maybe it's someone who's on your top three or four people on your text messages and your iPhone devices what may have you, but it might be a couple of people, it might be a Bible study group of some kind, it might be um, a, a group within your church who you deem worthy. I think that's the safer way to step in versus like stand in a platform, tell your story. That's absolutely valuable, but wouldn't expect you to do that if you've never done that before. Totally agree. Um, I think, you know, even in the context of Jesus, right, he taught to the masses, but he had his crew, like he had his small group of people that he walks with and confided with. And I think, um, like Lou said, I think it's important that um, instead of thinking about church in the broader context, um, that you think about church as your small group, as your roommates, as your uh, people that you can have a conversation with. And just naming that vulnerability <laughs> is difficult, right? Um, and so that hesitancy is normal, I would say, you know, and it's okay to feel that way. Um, and I just want to name that. Uh, but at the same time, um, community brings something that uh, is irreplaceable. Um, and I think that it's important to um, name it, but don't allow it to stop you. Yeah. And I think just to sort of cover each side of that question, I think those of you who are in community and have struggled or are struggling, we can rely on you to sort of slowly share pieces that you feel comfortable and safe about your own journey with those around you. So if there is someone who sort of is on the edges or overhears you talking about it, they'll know, oh, there's a safe person, uh, you know, what Lou is saying that I could maybe start talking to, or at least, you know, drop a little nugget and see how they respond. Um, so I think those of you who are in community already and feel comfortable and safe and connected can offer that space to create an opportunity. And I also think on the flip, on the other side of things, if you, if you aren't struggling and you know, people who are lonely, um, you can, you can get them connected before something happens. Um, you know, try and get people connected and brought into community before so that they already are in a safe space that they can then journey with. I think it's really, to be really honest, like when I was struggling with stuff, the last thing I wanted to do is go talk to someone about it. It was the people who already were in my life that were safe. And so not that it's not possible or not that it's not something that can be done, but to really encourage people to continue to build that community when they're doing well so that they have that place when they're not. I really love the word safe. So Liza mentioned safe. I think several people did, but safety is such a key thing. 
And if you need a safe community, I've heard of this place at Roxbury Presbyterian Church. <laughs> but seriously, though, I think the fact you guys meet in the basement, right? And okay, so I have heard about this. I have heard about this and wanted to go. And I think the reason is because it's like everybody's sharing what's really happening. You don't have to put on any masks. And I did go to Celebrate Recovery for a while. I don't know if any of you know that's like a Christian's 12-step group. And I remember thinking there, like, I, this is how I wish church felt. Everyone's kind of going, saying, this is what I'm struggling with. This is, these are my hurts, my habits, and my hangups. And so it's almost like you just came in the door with it. It wasn't a shock to anyone. It wasn't a surprise. And so I've really been thinking a lot lately about what it means to be connected to God. And I think we try really hard to be godly, but I'm starting to think it's more about being more human, understanding my humanity better. Um, Jesus was human. Jesus is never shocked at our humanity. Um, maybe that's the unexpected Jesus that he's not telling us to be more. I, I don't want to say that actually, because <laughs> there are Bible verses about being godly, <laughs> but I think his example is not to be shocked at our humanity. We are not God. We are human. And, um, and I'll just add to that. I, I work with in the field of sex addiction, other than, um, working at the college and betrayal trauma. And so it, I would say in groups, like if you have a specific issue, an addiction, a mental health issue, and you can find a group where you can get support, Liza was saying a safe place or people that are already in your life, those are great places to find community that can also be church, like, like everybody else has said. I want to just add a quick thought because I realized like, what if someone's hesitant, but they're not a Christian? My luxury of not knowing all of y'all is that I don't know who's Christian or not. So I feel like I can just put this out there in good conscience that if someone out there isn't a Christian, super cool. Thanks for being here. And then as you step in, it's okay to be hesitant. Hesitancy protects you. Hesitancy protects us. If I didn't have anxiety and caution, I just walk out in the middle of Mass Ave and where I live in my side of town and let a car hit me because I wouldn't worry about a car hitting me because I have no anxiety. It protects us. And so it's okay to be curious. It's okay to ask questions, hang out with people and be vulnerable and be curious. And if someone says something, hey, tell me, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? And um, just have those conversations. Even I, I would dare I say, you can even pray that God will listen to you if you are a Christian or not a Christian and see where God opens the door because we can be very surprised. He's done that for me. I imagine he's done that for all of us at this panel in different ways, maybe for some of your friends as well. That's really good. So I, we have several questions that have come in from you guys earlier and also just now, but I wanted to just ask a question about anxiety. So it's mentioned that, um, you know, wrestling with anxiety or struggling with anxiety. But the question actually came in and said, I imagine that most of us have experienced anxiety at some point or another. What does it mean to struggle with anxiety? And how does that affect how you walk with someone who is struggling with anxiety? All right, I'll jump in real quick. So I think I'm, I'm part of the some of my work as a private practice therapist. I've also worked in community help and um, community health where people struggle with severe anxiety, severe um, depression, where suicidality is a very common experience going to the hospitals because they're worried about their safety or worried about something that feels very real but isn't happening in the world around them. And I work with people who are afraid of talking in public or meeting people or anxious about the day-to-day -day things in life. I don't know, a global 
global pandemic, maybe um, the idea is that there's real things to be worried about. And I think when I, as a fellow human, experience anxiety, if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, I'm definitely the little purple guy with the suit, with the with the necktie, and I can be anxious, even though I can be a pretty happy-go-lucky person. So, with this reference in mind, like sometimes with anxiety, I just recognize, like, hey, I'm a little anxious. Hey, I'm a little worried. When you said that, did you mean this? And it's a little gutsy, a little little vulnerable, inducing just to be direct. But I've learned more often than less as I've gotten as an as older as a person is that people just kind of want to know where you're at and we can trust and build those relationships. So especially if you know people in your life you've been friends with, I think I'd encourage where can we push ourselves? How can we be vulnerable? It's a big ask, but it's something that has worked for me and something I recommend to clients. It's a common breakdown of communication. Like, but are they mad at you? Have you just asked them? And they're like, no. And so I want to encourage them to ask because it can break down a lot of anxiety. Yeah, I think those are good. I love the movie Inside Out. So good. Um, my kids call it the feeling movie. We've all little bubbles. I'm like, yeah, exactly. They all have feelings. Everyone has feelings. They're like four and two, so they're very small. Um, but I think when I think of it, I think we all struggle with anxiety. I, maybe I'm sounding like a repeated person over and over. Like we all have this. It's a really good thing. Anxiety is actually very helpful to us and we don't want to get rid of it or make it go away. Um, I think when I, when I think about the term struggling with anxiety, um, and when in my own personal life, I think there's the spectrum, right? We all have anxiety, like no one's going to get away with none of it. Um, and then there's, it kind of it goes from, this is kind of a normal part of my life to this is starting to impair my functioning, uh, or this is starting to impair certain areas of my life. And, um, I think when it starts to creep into areas like sleep, like Corey was mentioning, and you can't sleep because you're so anxious, maybe you're doing okay during the day, but it's that sleep time that, you know, it's just really hard. That would be something I'd say, okay, you're starting to struggle on a level that maybe seeking some support or talking to someone or finding a group or whatever the case may be, might be helpful. Um, and I do think that there are different levels of functioning. So some people have that severe level where they, they're going to need medication and they're going to need therapy for a while. Um, there's different levels of support, but I do think that, um, when we struggle with things, at least from my own experience, when I was struggling with anxiety and will for the rest of my life, it's not going to go away. Um, it was really helpful to just have some, I think part of the question was, what do you do? It's like, just have someone who's there with you. Like I'm here for you and I can talk whenever. Um, and I'm with you and I've experienced something similar. I think truly some of the most helpful things are when people you know have walked through something similar have come to the other side and can speak you will be okay everything will get will, will eventually be okay but you're not alone and nothing's wrong with you this is something that happens um and i also think just to throw this out there everyone needs something different when they're struggling so I, asking just what can i do how can i be helpful um and maybe they know exactly what that is and maybe they don't, but, you know, giving them a chance to just communicate that is how powerful too. So. Just a quick plug for that. Cause I reckon you mentioned some other key words like medication. And I want to normalize that. I work with many people who are in their twenties, thirties, forties. They are able to live. Um, they have 40 hour a week jobs. They are able to have families or like maintain things like rent and taking a shower and things that you and I might do on a regular basis. And they take medication. And they see a therapist. Heck, 
I see a therapist. I see my therapist. I see my therapist more than once a month. But he said, Lou, you're fine with once a month. And I'm like, oh, I guess. So I would see my therapist more if I could. But point being is that it's normal to see a therapist. It's normal to take medication. I want to be clear. Like that's something that's nothing to be ashamed of. If God creates all these beautiful things in the world and he provides healthcare providers and scientists and software engineers and things like that, and they can make medications, I think that's a good thing. And so I want to normalize that as well um yes we were talking in the back about how many of us see a therapist like it's just oh this is who i go we're trying to find this person and um i also take medication and i i grew up with pretty severe performance anxiety where i, I didn't know what it was i just found strategies like i'm sure you all have if you have anxiety you find strategies and ways to deal with however your brain works and I remember when I was older and I thought, oh my gosh, whenever I have to perform or have something coming up, I literally can't think about anything else for like a month. This cannot be normal. Like, I don't know. I just, when I found out there was a name for it, it helped me. I was like, this is called something. And then it helped me to understand that people with other kinds of anxiety, like social anxiety, and I see several students with social anxiety and that they feel like that the way I feel about performance, they feel about being social with people. And, you know, we're talking about community here. How, how hard is that if we all desperately need community and anxiety comes into it? And, you know, sometimes you can feel it heavy on your chest like a rock or just wake up with it in the morning. And I, I want to just agree with Lou and, and everyone who said medication can be very helpful and good to help you just get through the day with crippling anxiety. And I also want to add in for anyone who's grown up in a religious culture, where because the, there's a couple of questions about how do you deal with families with stigma around mental health? Why don't you just pray about it? Shouldn't God be enough? And things like that. Um, anxiety is not a sin. And I think sometimes there are some verses that we hear, you know, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You may have heard that verse before, but that's the thing is we can, we can come from families or cultures or anywhere that just kind of believes mental health is not a thing they, or they label it as actually not even just, they label it as a sin. And that can be just ugh, ultra crippling on top of what's already a really hard thing to deal with. So I just wanted to say that out loud for anyone that that might be an issue for, um, we are whole people and these things are not matters of right and wrong. They're matters of finding the help that you need, getting the support that you need, lowering the shame, lowering the stigma, and being able to be in community with, with mental health issues. Yeah. I think just to add on with the medication piece, I, for a really long time was like, I will never take medication. I was afraid of it. I thought it meant something was wrong with me, but honestly, as I've come to understand, to go through my counseling program, understanding that our brains are, are formed in certain ways. So I grew up, I had some childhood trauma. And as a result of that childhood trauma, my brain has developed a little differently. And so it handles stress or other traumas differently than someone who didn't. And that's not my fault. That doesn't mean I'm not strong. That doesn't mean I'm not determined or capable of things. It just means like, that's kind of how 
I formed. And if, and so I do take medication and was thankful to be able to do that and realize like, wow, this is really helpful. And it's not something that I need to be ashamed of. It's not something that I need to, that's, that's even recognizing that there's, I'm weak or I'm not strong. Um, and so I just, I say that because I think particularly in the Christian communities, it can be really hard to wrestle with that and particularly, you know, prayer and finding, you know, your comfort and safety in Christ. And I just think just the way we go to a doctor and they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, your foot is wide or, you know, your leg is one, one's longer than the other. So you have a little support in your shoe. Like that's not your fault. (laughs) You're not weak because you have to wear something in your shoe. So why, why is there this stigma attached to medication, particularly with those of us who have just the chemicals need some help. So again, just to normalize that as a, a helpful way to, um, support yourself and to own your own story and take care of the things that will help you be a better version um, and the best version that God has made you to be. So um, another question, a couple questions came up around the idea of trauma and you guys mentioned a few, little bit of that. And so one question was, how do you navigate through when trauma is ongoing? Like what are some ideas you have? What are some things that you would suggest if trauma is ongoing? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think, um, I think a lot of things I am trying to process my thoughts. <laughs> it's almost my bedtime. Sorry guys. Um, so when trauma is ongoing, I, I know for me personally, I mean, again, right. Um, there are things that you all in community and you all as peers, I think, um, you know, there's importance of, you know, staying in community It's important to, um, have someone that you can, um, go to and talk to and kind of um, be open with and, and, and that you feel safe with. Um, but I also think that um, seeing a therapist is, is a really great idea, especially for ongoing trauma. Um, you know, uh, an, another one of um, my things is, you know, I dealt with trauma of losing so many people in my life and because of the stigma, because of the stigma in the black community, but also in the Christian church, um, you know, I stayed away um, from therapy because I thought that it was, um, you know, wrong for a lot of ways. And so I wasn't, it wasn't until I was, you know, well out of college um, that I sought uh, therapy. And I just think that, um, you know, I just wanted to again, name that because the stigma question also I, I keep reading through it and it's so real and I and I just um I feel really uh it really resonates with me because so many of us think or we're taught that um as Corey said Jesus is enough and Jesus is enough but Jesus also provides us these resources and tools that help us uh, navigate challenges that life brings us and so that's what I would say. I would also add as a mental health provider that not just individual therapy, not just a single friend or a community of people. I'm a, I'm one of my uh, jobs prior to being an individual therapist is I was a group therapist. And so that job included being in a space with five to 15 or 20 individuals on a given topic. Could be a men's support group, women's support group. Um, we had an expressive therapy group called Trauma and Recovery Through the Arts. So people made art to build skills to help understand their trauma experiences. So I think um, groups are super important. Some of my favorite experiences as a therapist is when I said nothing because the group 
saw each other and listened to each other and said, oh, you did that too? That's my thing. That's happened to me. And there's uniqueness and camaraderie. And so there are support groups in the community, trauma center being one of them, obviously. But the idea is that there are lots of spaces, both um, in church and not in church culture, that can be therapeutic. God can do good things through spaces that are both Christian and non-Christian. There's common grace for all of those things. And I think even more so that Jesus can save, Jesus can heal. But I don't want to weaponize Jesus by saying, well, you're only a good Christian if, and that's just not cool. Jesus is powerful, but he's not meant to be a tool of manipulation. Prayer is, is life-changing, but I'm not good, but no one should guilt you. It's like, did you pray hard enough? And I'm like, back off. I'm a human. I'm doing the best I can. So I just want to recognize there's lots of different things that navigate trauma. Those are some things that come to mind for me. Just two words, be gentle to yourself. Well, that's four, but um, <laughs> be gentle is what I was thinking. <laughs> and then truly just if you're chronically in trauma, that is unbelievably challenging and no one can do that. Like that, that doing it well is doing it gently to yourself and caring for yourself and doing the best you can. So just that is a mantra of someone shared with me once, just be gentle and it, it can be really helpful. So be gentle. There's a lot more questions that have come in and we are wrapping rapidly wrapping out of uh, running out of time. And so um, I'm just trying to think of ways, maybe, maybe we can ask some of these questions and get your feedback and maybe we could send out some like little updates or something. Maybe that would be a way to keep this conversation going. But um, I did want to ask just kind of a closing thing, because I think we talked a lot about like find a safe person or seek out counseling or, but there, sometimes I think it can be confusing. What is it that a, a counselor or a therapist can offer that a community can't provide? What is it that a community can provide that a counselor or a therapist can't? So that's where we're going to end our panel discussion. I will say quickly, a therapist can provide objectivity. That, that is a huge gift to go somewhere and have someone that's kind of outside of some of your personal life that be objective. Um, a therapist can't be your friend, the person that you hang with and go out with. Um, yeah, you just both serve such different roles. So friends, obviously so necessary, <laughs> community so necessary. And a therapist can give you an objective point of view and has training you know, has training, has, um, there's so many different modes of therapy and, and healing. And a lot of them, like the art therapy, I love the expressive therapy. I think there's so many more for trauma, specifically more somatic approaches that are not just talk therapy, which I have to say again, is a pretty Western thing, you know, reason, rhetoric, talking, talking is not for everyone. That doesn't, that's not what leads to healing for everyone. So there are some great other modes of therapy, like art therapy. So thank you for the mic. So expressive therapy uses creativity and treatment. A therapist, similar to what Corey mentioned, is that a therapist can have a lot of clinical and professional skills to relate to you, understand you, listen to you, and they don't know anyone else but you. So you could talk about anyone you want, and they are legally obligated not to talk to them. So you can tell them anything you want, but your friends, they care, but you might be talking about their, your mutual friend, and that can be really hard. But as much as I, I love being a therapist, 
as soon as they see a client in my office, I'm like, we're never going to be friends. You seem like a pretty cool person, but we're never allowed to hang out because ethically I can't do my job well if we are going to Chick-fil-A afterwards or um, playing a sports activity prior. So your friends can do other things I as a therapist can't. And there's things that I as a therapist can do that your friends aren't equipped to because they're not in the same place. And we're all important, just different. As I thought about this question, I thought, you know, Renee, where's Renee in here? Hey, Renee's really cool, like, you know, um, but if there was something wrong with me, like physically, <laughs> I don't want Renee to have open heart surgery. On me. Like, I, I just don't think she's equipped to do that. Right. Um, and as much as that makes sense physically, I think it would also make sense um, when it comes to our mental health. Right. That there are things, as has been said already, that our friends can do that our therapists cannot with it and vice versa. Yeah. And I think. I think community can help what you're learning in your therapy sessions be lived out and help make the actual change. Yes. So I think you go to a therapist, they give you some advice, insights, some of their knowledge about how to deal with trauma or tools or strategies that your friends just may not have. And it's your friends who can help you really continue walking through that and make it real life changes. And, and so I think you need both. I think you're not going to get as much out of therapy if you don't have support and community and you're probably going to need a little bit more help than just your friends sometimes so that was brilliant well you guys thanks for being here thanks for being here and engaging in the conversation and um, i'm so grateful for each one of you that you're part of tonight i'm back with melissa and andrew Oh, so great to hear that panel, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And before we close, I just want to hear a little bit more from each of y'all. You know, we're a couple of weeks out from this conversation now. What do you think our next steps as a community are? What are you personally walking away from this time thinking about? Gosh, it's almost like the having the conversation as a community has allowed us to open the doors and, and engage in those conversations now without hesitancy. Like maybe before there were conversations happening, but they were like little side conversations. But I, I have found even in our community now, I just have been asking the question like, okay, what did you guys think about the mental health panel? And even if the group is split, like only part of them were there. And it's been really intriguing to kind of watch like, oh, this conversation can now happen because we have, some of us have a starting point where it happened as a whole community of like 55 or 60 people. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that night my friend was driving me home and we had a very like, like deep conversation uh, uh, about like a lot of struggles that I don't know if we would have had if we might have, we might not have. Um, but like even that, and then my G3 last week, we two of us had to leave early, and the last two people they ended up talking for a while about the Monday about this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think too that it's, I'm thankful there's places like, harbor counseling and um, things like that, that are like centers in the midst of our community, right? They're right in Fenway area and their clientele is often for students. And so I feel like it's becoming 
more accessible and a little bit easier to enter in with counseling in some ways. I know in other ways it's harder because there's longer wait lists, but I'm very thankful for the resources that are right in the Fenway area right now. Yeah. I know a lot. I know like my school does free counseling. So you can just like call and book a session, which I will be doing in the next couple of days. Uh, gosh, Andrew, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have read Gentle and Lowly. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but I want to. I love this. I love this. I'm, I haven't read all of it. I'm only like 30 pages in, but it. this quote says, and if the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness which he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. And I think that that idea of, like actual, our brokenness, the areas of our life where we're like, we need help unpacking things, not because, I don't know, just like that actually Jesus is super attracted to those things. Like he is drawn to us. And so even that, what you were saying earlier, Andrew, about the vulnerability of like becoming vulnerable with this idea that like, actually there are parts of me that need help and need pack, need some extra support and some extra um, help unpackaging them to know that actually like those are the very things Jesus has drawn towards and to like, he wants to heal and redeem and restore those things in my life. And, um, and I just, I think that that is a really powerful picture that often we feel like as Christians, we need to like do everything well and not be, um, and not be wrestling with things, but Jesus is actually drawn to us in our wrestling. And, um, and I think that, our community has a lot to learn from that kind of idea. And, but I think that the counselors that were on the panel did a phenomenal job of showing us that Jesus is actually drawn to us. Like this is, this is something he's drawn to and wants to enter in with us. It's not something we need to cover up and like make it look okay. You know? So. Yeah. That's a big point right there. That's, that's, I, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Melissa. I think that's the perfect spot to wrap our time today and hopefully it gives us something to dwell on as we finish this conversation. But as we said at the beginning, this is not an end, but just a start, a start of many conversations we hope to have around mental health in our community Melissa, Andrew, so grateful for this conversation today. Thanks for being here with me. Be on the lookout for the feed in April when we'll continue our mental health podcast series. Thanks, friends. See you next time.